What is the one unforgivable sin according to the Christian scriptures? It is wonderful to have you on the show today. Here by me, it's the 26th of August, 2022, coming to you here from Sweet Home, Oregon, at the foot of the Cascade Mountains. It is wonderful to have you listen in. This is Fishing for Men with Mac, and this is a show that deals with worldviews, that deals with some of the big questions that we have about life, and it deals with definitely some ideas from the Christian worldview and the Christian scriptures. And today we'll be dealing with one of those topics that have often come up in uh, Christian circles. What is this one unforgivable sin? Now, for Christians, this is a big issue. For a Christian, this, is, this can be a big problem because... All sin, right? According to the Christian faith, all sin gets us in trouble with God. All sin can keep us out of heaven from a very small white lie. That is the theology. A small white lie can keep me out of heaven because sin is sin, right? And, and all sin carry the same weight and all sin is missing the mark and all sin keeps us away from God and will cause us to receive eternal damnation. That's the theology that we Hold on to. But yet there seems to be a scripture in the New Testament that implies that there's only one sin that's unforgivable. And how do we make sense of that one particular sin? How do we make sense of that? And then obviously then from the those who don't believe in God, don't believe in, in the, the, the Christian faith, there is obviously a problem with this idea of sin. Uh, sin spoils life, and that's often why people are not Christians because they don't want to. They want to. They want to subscribe to this list of rules. I mean, I'm condemned in any way, so I might as well just not be a Christian and just enjoy my life. And being a Christian uh, is not an enjoyable life. Now, I'm going to have a podcast on that hopefully next week, where where I'll be talking about this idea of whether the Christian life really indeed is something that is not enjoyable. It's a way of life that's not enjoyable. But in any case, without further ado, let's go into this topic for today. Which sin does God not forgive? Now, I've often said in Bible studies, in reference to some passages in the book of Hebrews, there's one in chapter 6 and chapter 10, um, you know that there's only one sin that will keep you from God, and that is the disbelief that Jesus is the Son of God. That seems to be the, the key unforgivable thing that you can do in your life uh, to make sure that God will reject you. And that is if you reject His Son, Jesus Christ. And that sort of falls in line with Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10. So Jesus can forgive all sins, right? Except when you don't see Him as your Lord anymore. In other words, when you reject Him. That seems to be the idea of, we think, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, often people would then respond and when, I, when I give that answer. People will ask me in a Bible study, so which is the sin that, that, that I can commit that God will not forgive me for? Is it when I kill somebody or what is the case? And then I would say, no, the only sin that God will forgive, uh, will not forgive, is when you reject His Son. And I would use Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10 to make that sort of claim. And, and people are sometimes shocked about that because they, they're expecting that, you know, you can surely not go to heaven if you were Hitler. And here's the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. Oh, Jesus can forgive all sin. There's no sin heavy enough 
that Jesus cannot forgive you for. And then during a Bible study like this, somebody would then pop up and they would usually say, hey, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, that is the only unforgivable sin. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so my question is, well, which is it? I say only the rejection of Jesus will keep you from heaven. And then there's the scripture that Jesus himself, the saying that Jesus himself says. He says if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in some really big trouble. Now, let me read this for us so that we know what's going on. For those of you who have not read it, let me move on to that. That's Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 to 32. Matthew 12, 31 to 32. And so this is Jesus talking, right? He says, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, that is the passage that everybody would go to. Well, people who know their Bibles, they would bring up that passage when the question is thrown out. Well, which sin um, is going to uh, keep me from, from heaven? Now, I would like to say this is a bad interpretation. There is only one unforgivable sin and it is blaspheming God. I'd like to say that is a bad interpretation of that passage. It's a bad theological position to take based on the whole scripture. We might wonder, hey, but what is this blasphemy? What is it? Is it using the Lord's name in vain? Is that what it is? Is that what Jesus means here? Because uh, there's, there's a lot of people that have no chance of going to heaven. Is it when you say, oh my God? Uh, and we generally cringe when somebody says that because we think that that is blasphemy against the Spirit. Is it doubting God's good intentions? Is it using the name of Jesus in slang language? Is it burning a Bible? Is it damaging a church building? What is blasphemy against the Spirit? Are these the types of things the passage is talking about? Now, if that is so, many people are lost without any chance of repentance. I don't think it's necessary to show that the text seems to say that blasphemy against God is the only unforgivable sin. And so I want to jump straight into correcting the actual interpretation. Now, there are two aspects of this interpretation that the only unforgivable sin is blaspheming against God. I think there are two aspects that needs to be clarified, and I'll put them in two questions. Number one, and think about this, is there only one unforgivable sin? Well, yes and no. Let's talk about the no first. There are thousands of sins in human experience, and they are all unforgivable outside of Christ. Without Jesus, there is no sin that can be forgiven. Essentially, then we could say that there are thousands of sins that are unforgivable. Slander, hatred, gossip, gluttony, adultery, fornication. They're all unforgivable sins. Jesus said, however, in John 8 verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. 
You see, the condition of the forgiveness of sins is Jesus. And then this brings us to the yes answer. There is only one unforgivable sin, therefore, the rejection of Jesus. But how do we make then sense of this blasphemy in this text? Well, I believe they are connected. And I believe that they're referring to the same thing. Billy Graham put it so well in 2015. He put it very well. He said the following. Only one sin that can't be forgiven is on God's list. And that is the sin of rejecting him and refusing his offer of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. This alone is the unforgivable sin. Because it means we are saying that the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus is a lie. So in a nutshell, all sin is unforgivable outside Christ. But Christ pays for all sin and thereby makes all sin forgivable. Jesus makes sin forgivable. Therefore, the only unforgivable sin is the rejection of Jesus. You cannot accept and believe in Jesus and commit the unforgivable sin. But more on that later. The second question is this. What is the blasphemy that Jesus is here referring to? I would like to submit to you that Jesus is not here referring to mundane and shallow acts like using the Lord's name in vain or burning a church and tearing the pages out of your Bible and smoking weed through it. And, and to get to the core of that, it is better to go to the whole text so we can clearly see the context. So I'm going to read to you the whole text in question so we can see the context. This is Matthew chapter 12 from verse 22. Listen up carefully. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be, fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Now let me make a few notes on this. These guys were misinterpreting the sign. Jesus performs a powerful miracle in their midst. He gives sight and speech to a blind and mute demon-possessed man. Now, what was the purpose of the miracles? Ladies and gentlemen, it was a sign. A sign that God was present. That Jesus was God's servant. That Jesus was God's son. That he was the Messiah. And the miracle had that effect on the pure-hearted. In other words, the pure-hearted people looked at Jesus performing this miracle. And what did they say? They said, could this be the son of David? Is this the son of God? Is this the Messiah? Could this be? But not everybody got the same thing from that miracle. The Pharisees, however, they thought differently, didn't they? They said, Jesus does these miracles by the power of of Beelzebub. Now, what is this? Who is this Beelzebub character or Beelzebul uh, as recorded in some translations? What is that? The text calls him the prince of demons. It is another name for Satan. Beelzebub was also known as the Lord of the Flies, not just because he was thought to be a flying demon, but because he represents the Lord of the Flies who sits on dung. And so Beelzebub means directly dung God. The Jews called Baal a pile of excrement and Baal followers were considered flies. And by associating Jesus with Beelzebub was the most extreme form of contempt, aversion, abuse and slander. It was the most disgusting association they could have given him. According to the Testament of Solomon, a pseudo Biographical text, Beelzebub causes destruction through tyrants, causes demons to be worshipped among men, to excite priests to lust, to cause jealousies in cities and murders and to bring war. Now that book's not canonical, but it can give us some insight into what the Pharisees meant when they said these things and how the people heard it. And so they were insulting Jesus, but also claiming that he had evil intentions and that he was one uh, with the spirit of evil that wreaks havoc on the planet. Now Jesus responds to that. First, it seems like they didn't say it loud enough for him to hear because the text says he knew their thoughts. In other words, they sort of said it under their breath, but just enough so the people listening to Jesus could hear it. But based on what Jesus could see in their thoughts and, and hearts, he responds with some arguments. He says, a kingdom or a household against itself will destroy itself. If Satan drives out Satan, how can his kingdom stand? And so he reasons with them. He says, you guys are silly. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, what about your disciples who do the same? Because their disciples were also driving out demons, right? If it isn't Satan doing this, then it can only be God, since God is the only one stronger than Satan. You do good. You are with me. You don't. You're against me. I have done a good deed. Heal the man and you're against me. Therefore, you are against good and you are for evil. He places the whole argument on its head. And then Jesus brings out a stern warning. 
He warns them, you won't be forgiven for this type of sin. In verses 33 to 37, Jesus explains the problem. Because people with a rotten core will not be forgiven. If you are rotten to the core, there is no hope for you. The blasphemy revealed to Jesus what was in their hearts. Their fruit showed that they were ill. They brought out evil that was stored up inside them. The storage shelves were full of dirt. And how did we know of this dirt? By their words. That is why he then brings up the idea that we will be judged for every careless word spoken. Our words reveal our core. Were they holy? Well, they probably were to some extent. They believed they had little to be forgiven of. Because they were so perfectly obeying the law, they were spotless. But then Jesus comes and throws dung on their righteousness. These people might not be able to point out any of your sins, but you definitely have one sin. And unfortunately, it is an unforgivable sin. You deny the Holy Spirit that works through me. You therefore deny God's plan of salvation. You deny the prophecies breathed to life by the Holy Spirit. You deny the Creator. And if you deny me, you deny the Creator, and therefore you will die in your sins. So let's recap. What they did. What is the sin that they committed? Well, they were discrediting Jesus in the public. They credited his good deed to evil. They credited evil with a good deed. And if they acknowledged that Jesus did it by the power of God, then they would have to acknowledge that he is the Messiah. And they didn't want to accept that. And that is what Jesus refers to in verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The moment that they would acknowledge that Jesus is indeed driving out demons by the Spirit of God, then they have to acknowledge that the kingdom of God has come upon them and that the Messiah was standing in their presence and they didn't want to acknowledge that. They accused Jesus of treason. The greatest insult you can give is to say someone is fighting for the enemy he is fighting against. You are accusing the God of heaven of treason. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus to destroy the work of Satan. And now these cronies come and say Jesus is the work of Satan. The sin of blasphemy. Let's go back to that. Let's sort of define that. It's impious and reproachful speech injurious to divine majesty. The author of blasphemy against God is Satan. And so these Pharisees were accusing Jesus of the very thing they were doing. They were blaspheming the God who made them based on the heart of the God they were worshipping. Blasphemy is also the action or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. It is profane talk. All the great atheistic debaters today talk like that and make a mockery of what the Holy Spirit has done. When you think it in your heart, you're in trouble. When you verbalize it, then you are indeed doomed because now it affects others. Now, I doubt that Christians listening to this have committed this sin. This sin is a verbal sin. It is a sin of the mouth and falls in the same category of slander and hate speech. You can't commit this sin without your mouth. And your mouth can't commit this sin without your heart. And your heart cannot commit this sin without it being in utter contempt to God. People who commit this sin are people who don't care about sin. In other words, you cannot commit this sin accidentally. And I'll give you some examples in a moment, but I want to reiterate this. You cannot commit this sin accidentally. 
You can only commit this sin when you've made a decision to put yourself in opposition to the God of heaven and earth. Why is Jesus so serious about this sin? Taking the whole tech context into consideration, I think there are three reasons why the sin is so serious. Firstly, it comes through words that people hear. In other words, it influences other people's view of God. Be very careful. People who walk around and criticize God and try to destroy the worldview of, of the Christian faith got to be very careful because your words are influencing other people. That's why God takes it so serious. Number two, it comes through words that reveal a rotten core. The words reveal the inner belief that is a denial of, of our Creator. And thirdly, it comes through words that credits evil with good and good with evil. And we know that is a problem. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to him who calls evil good and good evil, who puts darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. People who commit this sin represents the worst of paganism. And this will help you make sense of this. I've sort of written down a sequencing from bad to worse when it comes to sin. Um, so here it is. Here's the, in my opinion, a list of from bad to worst type of sinners. First of all, you have a sinner that believes in God. You're okay. If you're a sinner, but you believe in God, you've got some form of connection with him, you've obeyed the gospel, you're okay. You're a sinner that believes in God. But then you get somebody that's worse than that, a sinner that ignores God. You might believe God exists, but you ignore him. You live your life as if he's not there. You are worse off than the sinner who does believe in God. And then you get a sinner that disbelieves in God. That is the atheist. That's the person that says God doesn't exist. A sinner that disbelieves in God. But you get somebody worse than an atheist. It's a sinner that hates God. A sinner that hates the idea of God. A sinner that um, despises the idea of the Creator. And then you get the fifth type, which is the worst type of sinner on the planet. It's a sinner that slanders God. Not only do you ignore God, you also disbelieve in Him, and you also hate Him, and you also slander Him. So you go around verbally breaking down the concept of God, speaking maliciously against God. Now that last type of person, that is a blasphemer. That's what we call blasphemy. I want to remind you that God judges blasphemy, not us. And Islam is a good example. Muslims believe they must protect Muhammad and Allah when it comes to blasphemy. Do you remember the story of Samuel Pate? The teacher up there in France, they took him outside in the road and they cut off his head. Because according to them, he blasphemed their prophet. But we don't have to view it like they do. We don't have to go around and say to blasphemers, hey, stop blaspheming God. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not the Muslims. God will avenge them. He will repay them for the words that they speak. So there's nothing really we can do when we hear blasphemy except warn people or simply shake our heads and walk away. God doesn't need us to protect Him. We must just make sure that we never mock the work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's get back to practicality. If you wonder if you've ever committed this unforgivable sin, you haven't. Very few people commit this sin in question. 
Very few people walk around claiming Satan did something that God actually did. I think the people that comes closest to condemnable blasphemy in our world today is that from the atheists. People like Lawrence Krauss, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Penn Gillette, Christopher Hitchens. But these guys don't believe in God at all. And neither do they believe in demons or Beelzebub. So we can't really tie them to this specific text. But I thought to give you just some examples in video form of what I believe is speech that will be costing people eternal life. Now before I play to you the two videos, um, let me just read you a, a definition. Here's a definition um, from Nick Gervais. I don't know how you say that, but yeah, Nick Gervais. This is his definition of blasphemy. A law to protect an all-powerful supernatural deity from getting its feelings hurt. Now, I would say that that borders on blasphemy. That is his, uh, that is his explanation of blasphemy. Then I found another one that's blasphemy. The belief that a cosmic Jewish zombie who has his own father can make you live forever if you symbolically eat his flesh and telepathically tell him you accept him as your master so he can remove an evil force from your soul that is present in humanity because a rib woman was convinced by a talking snake to eat from a magical tree. Now, if you're an atheist, you would find that to be quite funny. But that is highly blasphemous because what you are saying, and, and to be honest with you, it is very unintelligent. <laughs> it is very foolish to do that because you are discrediting, you're discrediting a well-attested to uh, source uh, of history. You are discrediting the, the lives of 3.2 billion people and the faith that they have and the lives that have been changed through this faith and the truths represented in the scriptures. And you are confidently asserting that Jesus Christ, whom everybody knows existed, everybody with a reasonable mind, and lived, historical figure, and yet his body has not been discovered. You are discrediting that story and the story of Jesus, of which there are more than 24,000 copies of. And even secular um, references made to. You saying that that all is nonsense? That is not a very intellectual thing to do. This is an ultimate example of blasphemy. Now I'm going to play to you um, just a bit of George Carlin and Jimmy Carr. And what they say about God. And this is, I'm doing this not because I like doing it. I'm playing it because that's what's out there. This, ladies and gentlemen is what I would consider to be blasphemy. This is blasphemy so that we can be clear about it once and for all. If you don't want to listen to it, you can just skip along and go to the last words that I would say. I'll give you two seconds to switch off if you want to. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you
loves you. I personally, I don't think the Pope should worry about the sex scandal. It'll all get sorted out soon enough when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, comes back from the made-up. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things is to get Christians talking about Scientology. Because the Christian will go, Scientologists, they're nutters, they believe in aliens. And then you can say to the Christian, what do you believe in again? <laughs> it's a benevolent zombie that's coming back to save you, isn't it? <laughs> Good luck with that, that will probably happen. <laughs> now, all of these have one central theme in common. A rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit and in essence blasphemy against the Holy Spirit's work the word the work of Jesus the creation of the universe in a nutshell don't fear the sin of Matthew 12 31 to 32 if you are in Christ that is a sin practiced by the worst atheists in our world and you have Jesus if you are a Christian you have Jesus you love him trust him and will be held in his arms for eternity only when you deny him do you stand in danger of having sin that is unforgivable. It was wonderful to have you listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye.